Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Who Says No. I'm sticking with the three welcomes. I think I need a distinctive intro. So I think that's where I'm going to go from now on. We have a very special episode of the podcast today. I think people who know me in a professional context think of me as a Lakers fan because I primarily cover the Lakers. I'm not a Lakers fan. I have literally never been to Los Angeles except for the train station on one occasion. I grew up in New York City. So therefore, I am, I don't want to say a Knicks fan because I do this for a living, but the team that is closest to my heart is the Knicks. And the Knicks are obviously going through one of their best seasons of the century. I mean, certainly the most fun in quite some time. So I think the appropriate way to discuss this is not necessarily through my own professional lens, but really from the perspective of a Knicks fan and somebody who can appreciate this as purely as it should be. So joining me today, one of my very best friends in the entire world, fresh off of our high school reunion on Friday, my CBS co—I was going to say co-worker, but we don't directly work together. We're both under the CBS umbrella. Macklin Stern, Macklin, how are you? Sam, I am doing so well right now. The Knicks literally just minutes ago clinched the number four seed in the Eastern Conference in the NBA. We're yeah, not even like Knicks. It's not even like they just got the number four seed in the Big East. It's the big no. league and everything. No, no. And it's not like we're getting the fourth pick in this year's NBA draft. No, it's none of that. It's the four seed in the Eastern Conference in the National Basketball Association. So obviously, I am so happy to be chatting with you about the Knicks today. And of course, let me just say before we get into it as well, I'm such a fan of the Who Says No podcast. Uh, what you and Colin have started this year. Uh, I tune in every episode. It's just a pleasure to be able to listen and to see you guys do your thing. So I feel very honored to be on here talking with you about our beloved New York Knicks today. Thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And I know that's coming from the place purely as a listener, not as one of my best friends. Um, <laughs> no bias at a, all. We have a group chat with some of our friends from growing up in New York that is going absolutely wild right now because all we talk about is the Knicks. And after a year of, I remember in like January and February, there were like, even when the Knicks were like starting to look really good. And I did my first Knicks podcast with Macri where we were talking about like, oh, you know, hey, Julius Randle, he's pretty good. Maybe he's a trade chip now. We were talking about it as if it was like, they could get one of the play-in spots, right? Like, this is great. Like they could be number 10. I remember at one point specifically, we were going through the standings and we were talking about like who could keep the Knicks out of the play-in. And there was real concern about the Cleveland Cavaliers because they started the year like, what was it? Like eight and seven, I think. And their defense yeah. was causing all these turnovers. So we were like, yeah, Colin Sexton, man, he's going to keep us out of the play-in. Like this is a real problem. We got to hope for some luck there. Forget about the play-in. The Knicks have home court advantage in the first round. And I just, before we really break anything down, we're now 72 games in the books. I just want to go over, what are some of your favorite moments from this? Just Let's just geek out for a little bit and enjoy it. So like, give me two or three of your favorite moments from this run. Okay, so I have to say, and I'll, I'll tie two moments into one, uh, with it being tied to Emmanuel quickly who very quickly, no pun intended, became probably my favorite player on this Knicks team. Um, it was the third game, third preseason game, I believe, against the Cleveland Cavaliers. 
And it's not like he had an insane amount of points necessarily, but he was doing all of the different Emmanuel quickly things that we've come to know and love about him, namely his floater game, which is out of this world. Uh, but then also that play where he'll, he'll kind of have a defender on his tail a little bit, stop short. And then the guy will jump into him as he's shooting a shot and he draws a foul. Uh, so I'll kind of, I'll loop that moment into one where it was also against the Cleveland Cavaliers later on in the season where he hits a bucket, gets fouled and does the swimming on the court. And it just was one of those moments where it was just, it was sheer happiness clearly on his part, but it just is kind of a, kind of a nice metaphor for our overall season of like, what the heck is going on here? Like we're having so much fun Clearly the players are on the court, but as fans just watching this and watching them have such a great time. So that's definitely, I guess, one slash two that, that stand out to me, but I'm curious to hear what about you, Sam? So bringing up quickly, my favorite thing about him was that you could really watch, especially early in the season, he would make a mistake and then two or three possessions down the line, he would correct it. Like, I think it was against the Nets. It might have been against the Heat. I'm not hundred percent sure. There was a game where he runs the double drag pick and roll and he overthrows the ball to Nerland Sowell and it's a turnover. And then like two or three possessions later, it's the exact same play. It's Obi Toppin as the lob man. And he throws it slightly lower, higher than the defender can get it, throws it down. And it's just like, this is exactly what we've never seen out of a Knicks rookie, or at least haven't seen out of a Knicks rookie recently. Like Kevin Knox is like probably worse than he was when he got picked, you know, like, Looking at some of these Knicks picks, it's just they come into the league as bad players and they stay bad players. Now, I'm not going to rag too hard on those guys, but like when you take somebody in the lottery where the Knicks have been the last several years, you may not expect them to be stars from the jump, but like you want to see that. You want to see incremental improvement. You saw that from Emmanuel quickly. Basically, every time he stepped on the court, he was always learning and improving. I want to go over some of the other guys. A major candidate now would be from the game that we just saw. Nerland's Noel with that block right oh at the gosh. end against the Celtics. I got to tell like Nerland's Noel was making the minimum the last few years. And like if, if he didn't play center, the hardest position to get picked for, he might be all defense this year. Like he was the best player on what I think will be the number two defense when the dust settles, maybe number three. Can't remember where they are with Philly. I think like there's a reasonable chance now that Nerlens has supplanted Mitchell Robinson as the center of the future. That was just like the entire season felt like it was crumbling in that fourth quarter. And then Nerlens just kind of goes, no, no, this is our identity. We will still win on defense. I will still make this huge play. Julius Randle, I, I, there are way too many to pick from. Like the moment I would have gone with, if they had beaten the Lakers the other night, the three-pointer over Anthony Davis, like – right. Man, like at that point, that was like, I tweeted this and I tweeted it jokingly, but it's serious enough now that Lakers fans saw it and got really mad. I tweeted one team in this game has the best power forward in the NBA and the other has Anthony Davis. <laughs> <laughs> so Lakers fans, like that was realistic enough that they got a little mad at it. Julius Randle has had so many incredible moments. I think back to the big comeback over Atlanta early in the season mm. as the moment that I kind of started to think, oh, like, okay, this, this could be something. Because Randall legitimately was one of the worst players in the NBA last year. The stats didn't reflect it. But, like, you'd watch and five times a game, 
the broken spin move comes out and he turns it over. He never passed. It was just, frankly, that was one of the major differences between this year's team and last year's was just seeing him like put up not too, like he's probably the most improved player. The numbers aren't that much better than they were, but like just watching him play, like this is the difference between a good player and a bad player making smart decisions and making bad ones. So really you could go in any number of directions with Julius Randle. That's the one that comes to mind is like the moment I knew this was real. So man, like you could pick any of 20. What's your favorite Randle moment? Ooh, favorite Randle moment. That's a great question. I'll throw out another one, even though they lost, please. The, the temper tantrum at the end against Brooklyn, because like, Oh yeah. I mean, I, I know players don't think about it like this, but like Randall is sort of the representation of the, like we tried for Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving didn't get them. Randall was the consolation prize right now. Like obviously if the Knicks could have Durant and Irving right now, they would love to, but they're so happy with Randall and seeing him like flip out at the end of that Nets game was like, I mean, it's not him thinking about that sort of thing, but it's like, Hey, I know that playing against the Nets matters. This is a real rivalry game now. So like my emotions are going to reflect that it kind of like makes you feel he's a Nick. He gets it. Like he is in the same headspace that we are. Absolutely. And that, I mean, that moment to me, and I'm glad you brought that one up because, you know, one of the things I think Knicks fans love about Thibodeau in particular, and there are plenty of things that we love about him is how fiery he is. And I think in that moment with Randall, it really kind of did feel like he was an extension of Thibodeau on the court of just like, yeah, I am super pissed off right now. Like the refs missed the call or whether they missed the call or not. It's like, I'm, we're losing this game to Brooklyn and I'm pissed about it. And it's that kind of that, that fire, that passion. Um, and it's not like we have a team where I'd necessarily say that guys wear their expressions or how they feel on their sleeve, like RJ Barrett, Derek Rose, those guys, like you wouldn't be able to tell if they were up by 20 or down by 20. They just take care of their business. They look the same exact way. Um, so I think, I mean, obviously with, with Randall, like he is just such a, he obviously is kind of the center the North star to the Knicks, just drastic improvement this year. I mean, he's a different player. He's a different player than he's been his whole career. And that starts with his playmaking it seems like he always makes the right basketball play, whether that is going to the cup, drawing a foul or kicking it out to somebody like Bullock or Burks or whoever it is for three. And then also it's the three point shooting with him. I mean, he shoots, he finished over 40% from three this season. Coming into today. So his three point percentage before this season was 29.5%. Yeah. To coming into today it was 41.1. I don't think he's going to be a 41% three-point shooter forever. I think there's a lot of inflation around the league in general. But if he's league average, like most of the stuff he was doing this year is still going to work. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty outstanding and, you know, just even looking at the rest of the Knicks roster, they had six guys this year who steady in their rotation who shot at least 39% from three or greater. And that includes... Is, it's that amazing includes to Randall. think. Yeah. That includes... Ama- amazing to think, especially because 
the beginning of this season when we played a bunch of games, we were one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. And then all I, the time, I wrote bold predictions times. before yeah. the season. And yeah. my next prediction was the Knicks are going to be the worst three-point shooting team in the NBA. Now, yeah. they barely take any threes, mind you, but the ones that they take are going in. They are. It's. It, I mean, it's. we knew Bullock, or, you know, he was supposed to be a guy who could hit threes, so obviously he was there. Quickly, of course, as the 25th pick, definitely a surprise for us. We knew he was a good shooter. But, yeah, the fact that these guys, I mean, Randall and Barrett, like, really – it it really just all comes back to those dudes. For me, it comes back to those dudes in a lot of ways of just like, these are different players who have taken that step forward. Huge credit to Thibodeau and the front office this year. But when those guys, when they can shoot all of a sudden, when their playmaking is there, when Barrett, and I, I love Walt Frazier, he had such a great line today. He was describing Barrett. He said, Feline quickness, canine attitude. I love man, Clyde's and, the best. Oh, he dropped it today, and I was like, oof, what a great description of Barrett. Because now it seems you know, he goes through stretches of it. He's still young, where he can kind of get to the basket or draw foul at will. He'll still make these boneheaded decisions. But I mean, just to see the progression of these guys, and I think progression is a big reason why also we fall in love with these players is you know, they improve. And with Barrett, we started out, we drafted him and he's, he's that much better than he was last year. I remember having a conversation with one of my bosses last year when I was making my all rookie team. And we were like, kind of as a group, there were three or four of us in Slack that were kind of talking it out. And a couple of us, myself included, wanted to put Barrett on the second team. And he was just saying like, no, nothing Barrett has done aside from being the number three pick warrants being an all rookie pick. And it's like, now he's one of like, okay, he's not as good as Zion. Like, you know, stop the presses, <laughs> but like he can stand up to almost anybody else in that class. Like, would it be crazy if he was better than John Morant in two years? Like, I don't think so. I don't know that it's likely, but I, I wouldn't say that it's crazy. I want to go back to Clyde though, because we're kind of in a <laughs> rash right now. Uh, and by the way, for listeners who don't know, which I assume would be everyone, your dog is named Clyde. So there you go. That's your next fan. That's your um, Knicks fan street cred right there. There you um, go. Yeah, I, I just this has been a rash over the last couple of years of like major major broadcasters retiring. Like Jim Paschke for the Bucks is retiring. Ralph Lawler retired last year. Marv obviously they, it just came out that he's retiring. Clyde is like no spring chicken here. Like he's he's not going to be doing this forever. And we grew up on Clyde during the Allen Houston Latrell Sprewell era. When I, I grew up, my basketball vocabulary was like, you know, tickle the twine and all that. Like yep, all of Clyde's Clydeisms. Yeah, exactly. Yep. I am so happy that Clyde got a season like this kind of near the end to sort of remind, A, like Knicks fans who didn't really need reminding, but B, all the league pass fans that are checking in for the first time this year. Like this dude is a legend. Like this is one of the best broadcasters of all time. I'm not going to say that he's like, you know, the best X's and O's broadcaster. But in terms of just enjoying the game, man, there's nobody like Clyde. And the other thing I want to go back to is Randall as an extension of Thibodeau. And you're right. The fact that Tibbs is so fiery and so passionate, look back at the recent coaches that the Knicks have had. Mike Woodson isn't really like that. You know, Derek Fisher wasn't really like that. 
I guess Fizdale is like a little bit, but it gets grading when you're losing as much as they were. Show me now, the like, data. Right. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think it really connects with New Yorkers because obviously, like, I don't want to get too much into New York stereotypes, but like New Yorkers think of themselves like passionate and gritty. And to have a coach that reflects that so much and to see it reflected in the team in the way that they work, like one of the big improvements for Randall is that he was like the defensive potential was always there. Julius Randall had never been a consistently positive defender until this year. And like, I didn't put him on my all defense team, but like I, I gave it a minute of thought, right? Like he has gone from a genuine negative to a genuine positive. And I think that's just all in Thibodeau. It's not just that they're winning. I think for the first time since those Freewell Houston teams, this feels like a New York team to New Yorkers. And that makes this as special as anything to me. I agree with you. There's a, there's such a grittiness. And obviously I think what made those 90 teams very special was that defense, which obviously Thibodeau was an assistant coach for that. I think it was 96 to 2004. He was uh, under Van Gundy. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing too. I mean, this is very like, you can't really root for this in in the NBA just because basketball's a business. But like for years, I didn't really want Kevin Durant to come to the Knicks. I was more interested in Kyrie coming to the Knicks because it would have meant a lot in the same way that it did with Carmelo. And we'll talk about Carmelo a little more later to have a New Yorker leading the Knicks. I mean, that's something that like, obviously you'll take whatever you can get. If you win, if you can win a championship with somebody from anywhere coming. And I felt this way about Kemba too. Like if you can have a New Yorker doing it, it would just mean so much more like to have somebody who really gets it. So I was always interested in Kyrie Irving or Kemba Walker as the guy to lead the Knicks. Thibodeau, I don't think he's from New York. I don't know off the top of my head, but he was a Nick. He was there during the glory years. And it just means something to me to have some connection to the Ewing era on this roster, especially like leading the team. Somebody who also like really gets it, like was there for the big playoff battles, was there like during the heartbreak, right? Being a Knicks fan is fundamentally inextricable from like basketball heartbreak. We haven't won a championship in almost 50 years. So it just, it means a lot to me to have a coach that really gets that and embodies that. I agree a hundred percent. Just, just double checked on it. New Britain, Connecticut. So he's a tri-state, he's a tri-state area guy. Yeah. So he knows Um, he doesn't, you know, one thing he doesn't know is how to wear a mask, uh, which we've learned throughout the season as well. No coach Um, is perfect. (laughs) No, but I mean, again, just, just the way that, I mean, there's some coaches like this, right? And you guys were talking about it on the, um, the podcast the other day uh, with Mark, you and Mark, uh, when you guys were chatting about the Pacers, but Nate McMillan is this type of guy, but the coaches who, who coach games as if every game is a playoff game and just with such a strong defensive mind. And that's exactly what Thibodeau is. And you really feel like, okay, like we legitimately do have a chance to win every game here. Like, sure, if we're playing a team like the Lakers, the Nuggets, I think that away game against the Nuggets was probably definitely our worst game of the season yeah. that we had recently. I bet on the fun. Nuggets in that game, and I got to tell you, like, it was over in six minutes. We So the score was probably like 21 to 7, and I remember texting with you, 
And we're just like, wow, okay, this game, throw it in the trash immediately. And you were just like, you know what? I'll take this. I'll take this betting win when I can get it, yeah. you know? So Jokic outscored the Knicks. He doubled them up in the first quarter. I think the right, Knicks had right. 12 and Jokic had 24. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was a brutal game. Of course, running into Jokic, who, you know, potential MVP candidate in Denver, you know, the altitude that probably messed with us, you know, <laughs> but no, um, you know, again, just Thibodeau, I think just having him lead the way, having him be so ingrained really in just New York basketball and particularly in that 90s team that all of us as Knicks fans just pine for. He really just kind of has served as that bridge from the 90s to the 2020s of this new generation of Knicks basketball. And, you know, looking forward to the playoffs, looking forward to, you know, seasons ahead, it's, it's really exciting. So I want to go backwards instead of forwards just for a second. You obviously bring up the 90s. We talk a lot about one of our favorite teams as Knicks fans, the 2010-11 team. This was when Amari Stoudemire signed, but before they traded for Carmelo Anthony. I think that team had a lot of traits that were very similar to this one. And that there wasn't like, well, Amari was a superstar, obviously. But his his season was sort of like Julius Randle's, right? Where he's playing a ton of minutes and he's really embracing being a part of New York. And then there's a bunch of role players, you know, kind of lifting everything up. Just let's rank some teams here. Mm. That team... Versus yep. this team versus the late 90s, early 2000s teams that we grew up on. Before we really start breaking it down, just rank them as far as what they mean to you. Okay. So I think I have to lead with the 98-99 team. Obviously, That's a little early for me. I, I didn't start until the next year. Yeah. The reason, And the reason why I put that at the top is because that was the team that made me fall in love with the Knicks and with basketball. Was what I mean again, lockout shortened season, so it started late. Knicks for the eighth seed. They played the Heat in that first round at the time, best of five series you'd play in the first round of the playoffs. And they knocked them off in five games. Houston hit that, Allen Houston hit that big runner that hit every part of the basket and the backboard, kind of like a, the Kawhi shot say, yeah. a few years earlier. That was sort of, that was, for Knicks fans, that is, that's kind of the equivalent of the, of, I guess, the Kawhi shot um, for Raptors fans. Uh, but it was just such an exciting time, such an improbable run. LJ hit that four-point play against the Pacers, and then we ran into a very young and game Tim Duncan in the NBA Finals. Lost that one in five. We didn't have Ewing for that series, which he was older at that point. But if we had Ewing and Camby going against Duncan and Robinson, I give us a better chance to win that. I don't know if we win it, but that was certainly that season for me. That made me fall in love with the Knicks, made me fall in love with basketball. So that'll always hold a very special place in my heart. So I was a year later than you were. I don't really have any memories of the finals run, but I remember the next year we play the Heat and then we play the Pacers in the Eastern Conference Finals. And that was like my first great sports heartbreak was losing to Reggie Miller and seeing Reggie Miller get to go to the finals. And I remember like in as much as a seven or eight year old, however old I was, like in as much as you can hold sports hatred in your heart, 
I remember going into that Lakers Pacers finals thinking like, I hope Kobe breaks your soul. Like, I hope Shaq averages 50. Like Reggie, I hope you never smile again. Like I've come to appreciate Reggie Miller a little bit late, like a little bit more in my older age, but that was like my first great heartbreak. And I'm a little jealous of you that I don't get to have memories of these finals runs or that finals run anyway, because I started one year too late and then it was kind of all downhill from there. It was, yeah, it it gets a little tough after there for a while. Then the first real light at the end of the tunnel, although I do want to shout out, by the way, the tanking Mike D'Antoni years when like Al Harrington was scoring like 24 a game and they had Zach Randolph and he was, you know, really going at it like that was fun in a different way. And sure, rooting for, let's save our catch space for LeBron. Like, there was some fun in that. But I think the first, like, Knicks team that felt organically ours, like we had been waiting for this our whole fandoms, was the 2010-11 team. And Amari embracing New York the way that he did, it was very, very special. But I maintain to this day that the heart and soul of that team was Raymond Felton. And he mm. came back a few years later, but, like, by then – he was older. He was out of shape. He had that famous quote, I was only fat for one year, and I think it was the Portland year. Um, that team, we knew it wasn't going to win the championship, but they have that huge winning streak at the beginning of the year. And I, I, this is my favorite moment from that run. I don't know if it's yours. I know they're playing say Boston. Too. Yeah. Yep. And Paul yeah. Pierce hits that buzzer beater. And then there's 0.4 left on the clock. And they throw it to Amari at the top of the key. And he makes a three, and I, I honestly, I think it took him two seconds to load it up. There was no chance in hell that he was on time with it. There was point four left on the clock. It didn't matter. Madison Square Garden went nuts when he made that shot as if they had won the championship. And we're all watching from home. They're like, that counted. Stop the count. Like, we got to just, this oh, game's yeah. over. We won. <laughs> now, with replay, they obviously figured out that it did not, in fact, count. But... That was just one of those moments where it felt like, finally, for the first time in a decade, we can go toe-to-toe with a team like Boston, the defending Eastern Conference champion, and, like, you know, really trade punches with them and really keep up with them. Yeah. That was my personal favorite Knicks season until maybe this one. Yeah. Where do you compare that season to this one? So that season, it's up there because I think to your point – Amare and the way that Randall had just kind of took took over the league and really almost stepped their game up. Cause again, with Amare, it was interesting because he had always played with Nash. And so the thing with him was like, could he be kind of his own star without him? He signs the big contract with us. And then he was fantastic. He had that streak of 30 point games where it was at least 10 or 12. I can't remember the exact number. I think but- there was a minute in there and this was in fairness. The NBA was determined that LeBron was not winning MVP that year. I think there was a moment in like December where people were like, could, could Amari be the MVP? Yeah, he was in that conversation. And then Gallinari. Oh, my God. Love Gallinari. Young Gallinari before Young when he Gallo. could still move. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Dan, he and D'Antoni had the Italian connection. Yeah. Like It was the whole thing going on. Wilson Chandler, as you said, Raymond Felton. Uh, Timofey Mozgov, of course, Nick's legend. Um, I do have to say though, and this could be a case of recency bias, but I think I like this team better. I, I think I probably agree with this. As in, sorry, this, this current yes. team as in the yes. one that we have currently constructed. I, I think I agree with you. 
and I think this really gets into the heart of what we wanted to talk about today. The reason I would pick this team over that one is that there was this real impermanence to what the Knicks were doing at that time, where we knew almost from the beginning of the season, like, yeah, this is really fun. We're loving every game, but this is not what the team is going to be. It's going to be the Carmelo show in a couple of months, whenever it happens. And that is sort of, to an extent, where the Knicks are now, where they're having this great, great season, and they're doing it without a traditional superstar. But it's like every other day, we're getting some report like the Knicks are monitoring Damian Lillard. The Knicks are interested in Kyle Lowry. The Knicks are interested in, you know, whoever. They have a bunch of draft picks to trade. They have infinite cap flexibility right now. I think it's no secret that the Knicks would like to make a trade similar to the one that they made for Carmelo back then. And it kind of, I don't want to say that it ruined that season, but like it fundamentally changed things. It went from, this is a really fun season that we can take pride in to like, okay, it's not championship or bust right now, but that's where we're headed, right? It has to be a championship team eventually. And to their credit, they came closer than I think a lot of people realize. Like, I know that it's sort of fashionable among Knicks fans to maybe not be crazy about Carmelo. You know, that era maybe didn't go the way that fans had hoped. The 2012-13 team came a lot closer than people realize. And if J.R. Smith hadn't been suspended for game one of the Pacers series, remember, aside from game one, which the Knicks lost without J.R., the home team won every game of that series. I'm convinced to this day that if J.R. plays in game one, the Knicks win that series and they played the Heat really, really well that year. I remember, didn't like on opening night, didn't Carmelo score like 48 against them? Yeah. Like, for whatever reason, they really like they played well against the Heat. I'm not saying they would have beaten them, but like I think they would have given them a really good series. Even as that was happening, it didn't feel the same that it did during that Amari run. Yeah. It didn't feel as organic. It felt like a team of mercenaries to an extent. That's exactly I am a right. little worried that this Knicks team is headed in that direction to some extent. So I'll throw this out there to you. Like, A, how badly do you want a superstar? And B, I guess, is the pursuit of championships so important that you would throw away what the Knicks have now? Like, would you be okay as a fan if they kept this basic group together and were a four-seed or a five-seed for, like, I don't know, the next two, three years without making a major jump forward? Like, as a fan, what are you rooting for, I guess? It's a, it's a great set of questions you pose. And uh, the Nets went through this a couple of years ago. They had this young team where D'Angelo Russell was kind of the guy who was their star, not a superstar, but by any stretch, but where you have this series of young guys, and that's what the Knicks have right now, who have just been outstanding they have a lot of heart. They, they love playing together, which is clear. They support each other. They're very easy to root for. I love me some Julius. I love me some RJ, Emmanuel, uh, D Rose coming into the action a little late. I mean, it's, it's just been, it's really fun. And so in a lot of ways, just given the, the history of the Knicks and all of their struggles, but then also knowing that the fun in sports and basketball can be fleeting. I've definitely, I I've felt so present with this team and just so excited about this team. But as you know, you pose a question like that, thinking into the future a little bit. Yeah. I mean, is this team 
as currently constructed, could they eventually win a championship? I kind I of have my doubt. I kind of have my doubts there. I mean, the, Randall, the hope is that RJ Barrett becomes like, I don't want to say Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant is a top 15 player ever, but like if RJ Barrett is like a consistent all-star that's like the bare minimum that they would need to for right. this team to become a champion. Right. And that's the thing. Like Randall and Barrett both need to continue to elevate their play. Uh, same with Qu- I mean, it's really everyone has to elevate their play. And I just think if you're really going to contend with teams who are as talented and as loaded as the Milwaukee Bucks, the Brooklyn Nets, the Denver Nuggets, the Los Angeles Lakers, you need more firepower than we have right now. And this is going to be a really interesting offseason into next season, into the following offseason for Leon Rose and Scott Perry, who have really made every right, I'd say maybe not every right decision, but they've made a lot of really good low-risk decisions that have paid their dividends. And so now it's kind of like, all right, we've exceeded expectations. We were a four seed. We could maybe win a playoff series. And when that happens, people aren't going to, especially Knicks fans, and we know this, we're not going to accept anything less than a four seed, right? It's like, and if you want to get better, I think they do have to get some other pieces. So Mark and I talked about this on the Pacers show. I think that there is an expectation among fans from any fan base that coming into a season, what happened the season before is the baseline, right? Like if you had a top, top, if you have a top five defense one year, you might improve offensively, but you can't be worse than the top five defensively, no matter what happens. And that's just not true. And I think there are a lot of reasons, frankly, to believe that the Knicks could bring this exact same team back next year have everybody play exactly as well as they did and maybe slip to like six or seven because just look at the rest of the East, right? Like Boston and Miami were a killed by COVID and B they had the shortened off season after making the finals in the Eastern conference finals last year, you would think that they're both going to be better. Atlanta had so many injuries early in the season, Atlanta probably going to be the five seed as we're recording this that could change obviously later in the day. But Atlanta's probably going to be better as well. Like, so all of a sudden, you're looking at if those three teams like have the sort of health and luck that the Knicks had this year, they could all jump the Knicks pretty easily. And you're talking about a seven seed through no fault of their own. Obviously, we talked about Julius Randle's shooting. Derrick Rose's shooting is pretty similar, right? He's a 30.4% three-point shooter for his career. With the Knicks, he's shooting 41.1%. Like, that probably isn't going to sustain... I do want to talk about the offseason, though, because there are meaningful upgrades out there that I don't necessarily know fall into that, like, trade everything for Carmelo category. As it stands right now, the Knicks are looking at something like $60 million in space. It can depend on a number of different factors, depending on who they end up keeping. They have seven internal free agents. I have them split up into three tiers. In his own tier, clearly the top, number one, is Alfred Payton who just oh. like the Knicks have to oh. resign at all costs. You know what? Alfred Payton, he, he's the guy all Knicks fans love, right? Right. Well, here's what I think it is. I think Tom Thibodeau has given the Knicks a common enemy by saying, if we play Alfred Payton 15 minutes a game, we're going to lose those minutes by seven. 
to the rest of you guys the other 33 minutes, we've got to win him by eight. So he's lighting a fire. <laughs> and it's why I think the Knicks are like a really good bet in the first round of the playoffs. If they just take Peyton out of the rotation and do nothing else, that's like six or seven free points. But Thibodeau's no. not going to do that. No, of course he's not. <laughs> so, well, okay, we'll take Alfred out. For the sake of the city of New York, let's hope that he's gone. The real top tier, four internal free agents, rank them by how badly you want them back. Derek Rose, Alec Burks, Reggie Bullock, Nerlens Noel. I think out of those four you listed, I would take Reggie Bullock first. That's uh, interesting. Like, I, I really didn't know what direction you were going to go. The... It's a good question. The reason why is the Knicks are getting Mitchell Robinson back next year on a team option for cheap. And I still, he was, he was fantastic right before he went down. Of course, then Nerland steps in, they win 12 out of 13. They go on this crazy streak, but I still think with Mitch and with Thibodeau at the helm, I think his ceiling to me, is higher than what Nerlens is. And Nerlens has been fantastic for us, not to take anything away from him there. Um, I think Alec Burks has been great, a great scoring option for us. And somebody who's played, Thibodeau trusts him when it, it it's crunch time. He's one of the crunch time guys, Alex Burks. And so I think he's been, he's been really, really helpful for us. Um, but to me, and then Derek Rose, obviously, he's, he's a little bit older as much as I've loved Derrick Rose, and I do, like you asking me this question, I know I gave you Bullock right away, but it's like, it's a hard pick because I, I love all these guys on a number of levels. Rose has arguably been our most important, if not X factor player in the last month or two. I mean, the way he's been playing just absolutely out of this world. I think somebody like Rose Again, he's getting older. The injuries could come back to bite him a little bit. I, I just, I'm a little nervous to, to bring him back, especially when I think another team could honestly swoop in and throw a bunch of money his way. I think the same thing goes for Noel. And if I'm thinking about, okay, what do I want to prioritize here? Somebody like a Bullock, who's just been the perfect, perfect 3 and D compliment guy for Randall and really just for anyone they've got on the court. I'm taking Bullock there. I think the underrated component of Bullock's game is he is so much better on defense than I realized, especially like I I covered him for two months with the Lakers. And this was when the Lakers were falling apart. LeBron was out for a lot of this. Lonzo was out. Ingram missed. I think this was right around when Ingram missed the time with the blood clot and Bullock looked terrible because he had nobody around him. Man, he has been so good on defense this year to the point where Fantastic. like he is, he's not going to get all defense, but like he'll be in the others receiving votes category. Now to get into a little bit of cat nerdery, the Mitchell Robinson situation is pretty interesting. They have this team option for $2 million. If they pick it up and they keep him for $2 million this year, he becomes an unrestricted free agent next off season. If they decline that option and make him a free agent this off season, he is restricted this off season. So it sort of turns into a game of chicken, right? Where you say, would we rather maybe keep him on a cheaper deal now or have him on the ultra, ultra cheap deal for this season alone and then pay him market value next year? I think there are viable arguments for both sides. And I think it also comes down to like, how much does it cost to bring New Orleans back? Because 
if you're going to lose Nerlens, you can't take any risk with Robinson. You have to have him back as the starter. But I, I hate to say this. I am usually so anti-center. I might have Nerlens number one on this list wow. because so much of their defensive identity has been him, frankly. Like, it's and that true. doesn't take anything away from Mitchell Robinson, who was great when he was healthy. Nerlens, like, I don't think it would be so crazy to say that he was the sixth best defensive center in the NBA this year. The top five, I think, is pretty ironclad, where it's Gobert, Embiid, Capella, Miles Turner, and Jakob Pertl. If you said that Noel was six this year, like, oh, actually, I don't know if you're counting Bam as a center or forward. He'd be up there, too. Point is, like, he's, he, he's a top 10 defensive center this year, and that has been the driver of the Knicks' success. I think in a perfect world, they have so much space that they could maybe re-sign all four of those guys and still have enough for like a major expenditure. I think if they were to let somebody go, just given the age and injury, I think you're right. Derrick Rose is probably the guy because also like Emmanuel quickly is ready for more. And if they add another big name, it's probably going to be a guard. We so, also got Luca. Don't forget. We got our own Luca now. Right <laughs> now. I wouldn't be super optimistic about next year, but <laughs> um, yeah, like, I think I hate to say let Derrick Rose go and obviously make him a competitive offer, but I think quickly is probably the starting point guard next year or depending on who they sign, maybe the starting shooting guard. I have, I, I have nine free agents listed here that I want to go over. I have Ooh. them sort of in tears. Tell me, tell the me. Top three. The first two, I don't think they're going to realistically be available is Chris Paul and Mike Conley. I think they're both probably resigning with their team. That being said, I'm sure they're going to use the Knicks as leverage to get every last dollar of their own teams. In that same tier of Hall of Fame point guards, Kyle Lowry. The Knicks uh, reportedly interested. The extension numbers we saw at the trade deadline was that he wanted a two-year, $50 million deal wherever he went. The Heat can sort of get there with cap space. It would take a little bit of finagling. The Sixers would need a sign and trade. The Knicks, there are no financial cap, like no financial concerns whatsoever. If the Knicks wanted to give him $80 million over two years, they could. Would that be a good idea? That's an entirely separate conversation. But my point is, if Kyle Lowry is thinking purely about money, which he has every right to do, and frankly, he already has a championship ring, so he doesn't have to be as basketball concerned as others, I think that would be a really, like, throw him 60 over two years. That wouldn't be crazy. It's short enough that it's not going to cripple your cap if it goes wrong. And also... It corrects the mistake that the Knicks made in, I think, 2013 when they almost traded for Kyle Lowry and didn't because James Dolan didn't want to trade with Masai Ujiri. So, like, let's say the Knicks signed Kyle Lowry for something like $30 million a year and they bring back three of the four internal guys. What are your expectations going into next year? Oh, how well, first of all, I'd be very excited uh, because – First of all, I've always I know I know how big of a Kyle Lowry fan you've been for all these years, and we. I'm an honorary the, Canadian citizen because of that we guy. can get into the Lowry versus Westbrook thing. I know you could go on like a 20 minute monologue on that. Um, Listen, props but, to Westbrook. He just clinched the eighth seed earlier today, so you know what? I don't see any reason to go into Westbrook slander right now. <laughs> <laughs> no, not not the time or the place. We're uh, we're talking about the Knicks here, but um, I mean, I, I've I've always loved Lowry too. I think. He's somebody who really fits, I think, what the Knicks are doing from a defensive standpoint, from just a gritty standpoint. I think Thibodeau would love somebody like Lowry. And I also think the Knicks have 
again, we talked about this, but they have so many young pieces. Randall, even though he's become our star, he's 26 years old still. And I think having somebody like a Lowry who's been there, he has that championship pedigree, that playoff pedigree, and he's still incredibly effective. He can definitely kind of take a lot of those young guys in particular, a lot of those young guards who we have. Well, I guess it'll be quickly. And then Luca Vildoza when he comes over and whoever else we get. Um, but having somebody like that, I'd feel really good about it. Do I think that we become better than, again, better than the Bucks and the Nets and the Sixers? No, probably not. But hey, Lowry's another great uh, culture guy. Well, I'll throw this out there too. I think there are guys that if you wanted to chase them in free agency this offseason, you'd have to give them four-year deals. And that's going to be some of these other guys that we're about to talk about. If you sign Kyle Lowry and you get him on a two-year deal, then let's say a year from now, Damian Lillard is available. You have a big expiring contract to throw into that trade or whoever the star is. I think that's a move that can make them better for next season but also like pay long-term dividends as well with whatever the next move is. The other thing is look at what Chris Paul did for Shea Gildas Alexander. I don't know that Emmanuel quickly is as talented as Shea Gildas Alexander, but could Kyle Lowry have the same effect on him? Well, Fred Van Vliet was undrafted and look at where Fred Van Vliet is right now after spending the first five, six years of his career with Kyle Lowry. So I think that could be very, very beneficial for him. If Chris Paul or Mike Conley want to come, it's the same principle. I just doubt that they're leaving their teams. The next list is, I'm going to call it the shooter list. Two of these names, I think, are going to elicit positive responses from you. I'm not not sure about the third name. Duncan Robinson, Norman Powell. These are the fun ones. Here's the one that Knicks fans might not be so crazy about. Tim Hardaway Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Do they really want to go down that road for a third time? I'm not sure. But if you take the player Tim Hardaway Jr. has been with Dallas this year, I think the Knicks would rather like to have a guy like that, but Duncan Robinson would be my first choice personally. I think they do need a pure specialist on this team. Somebody you can really like put up eight, nine, 10 threes a game and make them an elite clip. Robinson is obviously restricted this off season. So that's tough. Norman Powell is fully available. I'm worried that he's a little small for the defense that the Knicks want to play. So of those three guys, like do any of them stand out to you? Well, I mean, when you said Tim Hardaway Jr., obviously my first reaction was way overpaying him all those years ago. And I'm just like, could we please just not pay him any more money? I'd like to live in a world where we don't have to worry about that anymore. He owes the Knicks a lot of money. He should come on a discount for that reason alone. Hey, I'm with you there. I'd take him on a discount. Um, Yeah, I mean, Duncan Robinson, Norman Powell, those are both great names. I mean, if if, look, if we want to stick with the – you know, with the Canada love, Norman Powell, I mean, he is, he's, he was terrific for Toronto. He's obviously been great for, or he's been very good for the Blazers. Um, but look, I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, probably I, Duncan Robinson is the most enticing there. I know we would definitely have to throw a lot of money his way. Uh, if, you know, if the Heat weren't gonna, weren't gonna match. Um, but as you said, I mean, he's he's a specialist guy. He has NBA finals and playoffs pedigree. So he's got that as well. Even that, though That's amazing not. to think about because I didn't know Duncan Robinson's name two years ago. And like, 
Oh yeah, now he's an NBA Finals. Like he was on the floor for Game Six of the Finals. It's incredible. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's definitely Duncan Robinson is somebody who would pair very nicely with a Randall and a Barrett, who are two guys that attack and draw a lot of defense. I mean, if you had Duncan Robinson on one side, Reggie Bullock on the other side, I mean, hey, that that's pretty dangerous right there. I mean, I'm thinking of like a pretty small closing lineup where you put out quickly Robinson, Bullock, Barrett, and Randall. Like oh offensively, God. that could be like really, really special. The next guy I'm going to give him his own tier. The Knicks were linked to him at the trade deadline is Lonzo Ball. Mm. I'm I'm mixed. Um, obviously, I, I think Lonzo, I, I'm a big fan of his in general, and I think there is a team out there for him. I wouldn't want to put him on the Knicks because I wouldn't want to pressure him to be a point guard in the traditional sense. I think he could really help in transition. I think he's been a very good defender. This year has been kind of up and down. If he shoots as well in catch-and-shoot situations as he has this year, he'd be a very good fit. I just think the pressure is probably too much for him there. Like, do you agree? Like, that's just like kind of a messy situation waiting to happen. I think so. And I almost think even coming out of this season, all of those added expectations would be a little unfair. And he wasn't even a part of this past season. You know, if something went wrong next year, he would be blamed for it, whether or not it was. Yeah. Which, I mean, unfair to him. I'm sure Knicks fans like wouldn't have a whole lot of fun with it. But hey, you know what? If we can get Lowry, I mean, Sam, you're the, I mean, you're a salary cap guy. Just give us Lowry, give us Lonzo, give us Duncan, give us all these guys. Can we just have all of them? Well, do you want to let everybody else go? Do you want to let Burks and Bullock and Noel and Rose go? Like if you have 60 million in space, like sure. You can sign several guys. You're just letting your own guys go. Yeah. No, you are going to be cheaper though. I was, uh, I was being a little facetious there, but you know, just everyone comes to New York. We've got a great culture now. Yeah. L- listen, people want to come to New York right now. The last two guys on this list are going to be cheaper. They're the gritty white point guard category, Alex Caruso and TJ McConnell. Uh, I well, feel like Thibodeau would love those guys. Well, I, I mean, I also know about your, uh, your affections for Caruso. If I could get Caruso and Lowry on the same team next year, I might just buy a van and follow that team around the country. <laughs> like, I think that that would be my big next career move. McConnell quietly, like, I, I'm going to go back to the Pacers podcast again. We did this as trivia. He's about to, I mean, presuming nothing crazy happens the rest of the day today, he is going to become the first reserve to lead the NBA in a major stat category in over 25 years. He's going to lead the NBA in steals. Like, I think the Knicks would really like that defensive aggressiveness. Obviously, offensively, you probably want a little bit more out of your big splash. But I think if all else fails and, like, you're looking at giving Alex Caruso $10 million a year. Could do worse. Can I, I loved that trivia question the other day. It was such a good one. And then how Nate McMillan was the yeah. dude, right? Um, okay, I've got, I've got a trivia question for you now. Shoot. So there's one current Knicks player who ranks in the top five of a major category. Who is it and uh, which category? My first guess is Nerlens Noel Blocks. You got it. Is that right? He's, yeah. He's second, second in the NBA in blocks. That that sounds right. It sounds a little preposterous from a minutes perspective because he was splitting time with Mitchell Robinson early. And you think like, well, Joel Embiid plays 35 minutes a game, but he missed 15 games. Well, Miles Turner missed 15 games. Like it kind of adds up. Click Capella missed some time. Like, okay. 
that does make some sense. All right. And like, I bet on a per minute basis, he's like certainly up there as well. Yeah, that adds up. That makes total sense. And I think now I'm just like convincing myself back into Nerlens, where I'm just like, yeah, yeah. Ner- Ner- he's been he's been the anchor. He's just been when Mitch went out, he was the guy that stepped in. We didn't miss a beat. In fact, we played our best basketball. So you know, we can get Nerlens back, bring him back. Defensively, I think he's sort of become the player that everybody wanted him to be. He might not be quite as good on the perimeter as maybe people hope. The issue is the stone hands on offense. Like oh, Nerlens, man. It's, it's it's crazy because he's he's so coordinated on yeah. defense. Yet when you flip it to offense, he does really have trouble just catching interior passes or lob passes. It's a problem. It, Andre Drummond is like this too. It drives me crazy when somebody can be so athletic and so uncoordinated at the same time. It's crazy. It really, yeah. I will say. I would be a little worried about paying Noel a lot of money to anchor the defense for one reason in particular. I do think there is some evidence that the Knicks are worse on defense than maybe the numbers suggest. They give up the second there. They give up opponents shoot 34.8% on wide open threes, the second lowest mark in the NBA. And they shoot 34% on open threes, which is seventh. Like you can be really high in one category. Usually it's going to be, it has no correlation with the other. Like Utah is the lowest wide open three percentage, but they're 19th on open threes. This suggests to me a degree of shooting luck that probably isn't going to carry over next year. I do think to an extent the Knicks can expect to be above average because they close out so well and that gets in, in teams' heads. I don't think they're going to be nearly that good next year. So I do think you have to kind of price that into your projections for next year where you say, Maybe we're not coming coming into the season expecting to be number three on defense. Maybe we're coming in expecting to be number six or number seven. So that would be like, I worry that Noel is going to go into free agency and say like, I was the anchor of the number three defense when maybe that's not quite the case. But man, he was so good this year that like, I'm almost afraid to mess with what worked. Where I really do just want to say the priority is bring back the internal guys and make one major addition. And I don't think that addition is going to be like, I don't think that Bradley Beal is going to be traded this offseason. I don't think that Damian Lillard is going to be. I think it's going to be one of these free agency guys. And then after that, you start to look ahead to the superstars. I'll throw this out there as a last question. The Knicks have a bunch of trade chips. Whether you think of Barrett as one or as untouchable is another question. But whether it's Lillard, whether it's Beal, is there any superstar out there that you look at and you say, he's the one I want to be a Nick. And let's say that's realistically available. Of course you would love to run the trade for like Luka Doncic. Oh, great question. Um, yikes. I mean, I, I definitely am a huge Dame Lillard fan. So when you bring up his name, I mean, that he's a very enticing option. Can I, sh- I mean, can I shoot for the stars here? Am I allowed to do that? If you think he's realistically available, I might shoot you down, but throw the name out there. Well, I'm going to say Giannis. He, well, let me put it this way. <laughs> I don't think he's going to get traded, but it's not totally out of the realm of possibility. The real question is, how does he fit with Randall? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, Which is an insane question to ask, right? It's like, insane, but like really- the fact that we like... <laughs> But the fact that we kind of can ask something like yeah. that now is is a sign that okay we're like we're headed in the right direction a little bit. We're here. literally talking about how does the MVP fit with Julius Randle? 
Yeah, it's uh, it's unbelievable. Um, I mean, I think I, like with Lillard would definitely be a fun one. I, I mean, I don't think the Blazers are going to be willing to give up Lillard. And I think he's somebody who obviously has been super loyal. So I don't think he will necessarily request a trade. Like that to me is the way that the Blazers would trade him is if he requests a trade. Um. So I look I'm, at what, I'm curious. I, what do you think, though? Who, so who, I, who do you go with? I look at what Kevin Garnett has been saying at his Hall of Fame weekend about his only regret is that he wished he'd, he'd gone to Boston earlier. And I think we might be headed sort of in that direction with Lillard, where they're either going to be the sixth or the seventh seed. As of this recording, they haven't played yet today. And they're probably going to fire Terry Stotts after the season. And don't get me wrong, like, I do think there are coaching issues there. I think Terry Stotts is a good coach. I do think there are internal things they could fix. But realistically, without, like, a big, big trade, they're probably going to be six or seven again next year in the West, if not worse. I don't see a scenario where they're jumping to the top of the West. So I guess, is there a breaking point? Is there a point at which Lillard says, like, I'm tired of this. I want to go try to win a championship somewhere. And I think if that's his goal – I'm not going to lie. The Knicks probably aren't at the top of that list. Like he'd probably have a better chance with the heat or a better chance with a few other teams. But if he was willing to come to New York, like obviously there are no questions culturally, right? Like if you have Damian Lillard, like great, he's the ultimate culture, culture center in the NBA. I think he and Thibodeau would really get along. He's obviously not a great defender. I think that's probably the likeliest of like any single star. Not that I'm saying it's likely, but you seem like you have something you want to say. Go ahead. Well, okay, I, 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 lo- I look, I'd love if Lillard came. That'd be amazing. Another guy just hit me, popped into my head. Shoot. What about Zion Williamson? You're thinking a bit too far down the line, man. Ooh, hold You're on, playing hold on. with fire here. Play, played with R.J. Barrett, right, at Duke. They roomed together. Zion actually, Zion told me that he and R.J. have talked about reuniting Zion For those of you who don't know, by the way, I would recommend going back and reading this if you're into Zion free agency stuff. Macklin interviewed Zion before his rookie season, and there was a quote from that interview. I'll let you say what the exact quote was that really made the rounds and circulated that kind of got people thinking like, okay, like maybe he's not going to stick in New Orleans forever. He, he basically said he looks at, you know, guys like Kobe, Tim Duncan, and said – They've had amazing careers in one places and, you know, that's great. Um, But he also said that he and RJ, when they were just kind of lounging around in the (laughs) dorm room together, talked about what it would be like to play together in the NBA. Now, also, we have Zion, who earlier this year and, you know, all non-Knicks fans, I feel like are going to torch us for saying stuff like this, but said. This is our podcast, man. We can say whatever we want. We can do whatever we want. But he said he loved outside of New Orleans, Madison Square Garden was his favorite place to play. And so, yes, it is a couple years down the road, right? But New Orleans, we've seen it a little bit. They've kind of had these different cracks and it's not really quite working out between their different pieces. And could Zion be a dude who requests a trade? He doesn't really seem to be that kind of guy. But like, I I don't know. Maybe. Okay. Right. First of all, the most important factor here, we have to say it doesn't fit with Julius Randle. So he's just, I'm sorry, Zion, you can't come to New York. You can't play with Julius Randle. No, um, Zion, the timeline would be 
five years or so down the line. Usually the way contracts work now, the, you sign your first max extension after the third year. It's five years with a player option starting after the fourth season. So he would be a free agent after his eighth year, which is six years from now. So really the trade request probably comes five years from now. And like, look at that point, if the Knicks still have RJ Barrett, I'm sure they would be high on the list, but we can't really be thinking in five-year intervals at this point. I just think that's too far down the line. I will say when the Pelicans were shopping Anthony Davis, they obviously got a great package from the Lakers. There was a part of me that thought the real thing they should do is trade him to the Lakers for the Barrett pick because then you're securing Zion for the long term. Now, I don't know how good of a fit Barrett and Zion would be in the NBA, considering, well, Barrett has gotten a lot better as a three-point shooter. Neither of them are projected as elite long-term three-point shooters. So the spacing might not be great. But if you want to just keep your superstar happy, trading for his best friend before his career starts, that's a way to do it, is all I'm saying. They obviously didn't go in that direction. And I think at some point down the line, you know, let's say 2025, 2026, 2027, whenever, we'll start to hear Zion Barrett rumors, whether it's in New York or somewhere else. I, I don't think the Knicks can be thinking that way right now. And plus, again, I'm sorry, Zion. Like, do you want to be Julius Randle's backup? Because that's what you do right now. Yes. <laughs> um, no, I think Bradley Beal's probably – the Wizards don't want to trade him right now, number one. Number two, I think if he were to go somewhere, it would be somewhere that's like one Bradley Beal away from being a championship favorite. Like Denver is a team that's talked a lot about with Beal as like a Michael Porter trade. That's an option. You know, Miami too. Like, I don't think the Knicks are quite there, but I think if they have another really good year, somebody who's maybe a little bit older, somebody like a Lillard makes a lot of sense to me, you know, guys in that, in that class. But ultimately, like, I think more than anything, it's so refreshing to be able to have these kinds of conversations, like somewhat realistically. Right. And not feel like an insane person. Yeah. When we were talking about Durant and Kyrie a few years ago, it had nothing to do with what was happening on the court. It was literally the conversation we were having is Kevin Durant's team is too good. So let's send him to a bad team where he can be the man. Obviously that's not really what happened, but like, that's what the tenor of the conversation was. Now we're talking about guys like, I mean, maybe not Zion, but like guys like Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal and saying they might be better off in basketball terms if they went to the Knicks. Like, that is such a great place to be. It makes our group chat with our friends from growing up in New York so much fun. Macklin, this was a pleasure. We will 100% do this again. Aside from being one of my best friends, you're also a CBS coworker. So I think that just, like, I think we should be able to justify, like, you know, doing as many of these as we want and maybe charging some props to the company, you know, like any expenses that are incurred by doing this. So this was a pleasure, man. Do you have anything you want to plug? I know you just did a big interview. Um, yeah, well, first of all, let me just say, Sam, it's been such a pleasure and I'm so glad we were able to do this together and I appreciate you having me on. I did want to just say Stepien rule before we got off. Because oh, of I course, know it has to be mentioned every episode. It has to be mentioned or else it just wouldn't be a Who Says No podcast. Well, I'll throw this out there for maybe the first time in several, like index history. The Knicks have no Stepien rule concerns right now. They oh, have all cool. of their own first round picks. Incredible. Incredible. And yeah, I, I saw we've got 18 picks in the next six years, seven of which are first round picks. So that's just delightful to also be thinking about. But yeah, 
I mean, I guess, uh, yeah, I, I interviewed um, Robert Woods of the, the Los Angeles Rams a couple weeks ago. That piece is up on CBSSports.com. We talked about the upcoming season, Matthew Stafford, all that good stuff. Um, but again, Sam, thank you so much for having me. Uh, love talking about the Knicks. And uh, seriously, anytime you'll have me. This is, a, this is a career highlight for us. I mean, we met in the sixth Definitely grade, is. and now we're like doing professional projects together. It means a lot to have you on. We'll have the rest of the group chat on at some point, maybe after the Knicks win the championship. But for now, that'll do it for us today. Like, subscribe, review, everything along those lines. I don't know how you promote a podcast, but anything you can do to promote this podcast, we would appreciate. And we will be back later in the week.